Nowadays, everything's on the table. What are we doing? Where are we going? And how are we going to do it? And how are we going to do it together? And that's where we need to be. When you're making decisions or talking about communities, whether they're First Nations or not, you really need to know what it looks like, who lives there, and what impact it's going to have on them. We have to line that up also, understanding the governance and financial management, making sure that the minister's objectives are implemented, but also making sure that the public are receiving the best care that they possibly can. Hello and welcome back to Interior Voices, an interior health podcast series where we explore the intersection of health and culture in the workplace, our everyday lives, and patient care. I'm Beth Blue, Communication Support for Aboriginal Health. In episode 18, our hosts talk with IH board member Diane Jules about her journey to the board, Aboriginal health, and much more. We are very fortunate to be able to sit with Diane Jules, the IH Board of Directors member. And we're so grateful that you're able to be available and we're willing to do this podcast with us. And one of the things that we have with NIH is a policy around land acknowledgement and welcoming. And so, so that our listeners can have a wide variety of how we do that, one of the things we like to ask is, how would you do a land acknowledgement? Would you be willing to share that with us? Well, Cook's Jam, thank you for inviting me to sit here today with this podcast. I was really excited about it. I guess for myself, you'd introduce yourself, why Kahwai, Wispas, Diane Jules, and then acknowledge the territory that you're in, whether it's the Sokotnik, Silk Territory, Haida, or Gitsan, and just acknowledge the ancestral unceded territory of the nation that you're in. Hmm. Would you be willing to share why that's important for us to do? Well, I think it's it's very important to acknowledge the first peoples of the land and acknowledge that they are here. And it's good to acknowledge whose territory you're in, regardless of what part of the world you're in. I think in Canada, BC is really special. I think that we don't have treaties in BC. So it's really unceded territory. And that's a real political word to use, the unceded. And it's used quite proudly within BC. And I think as a past band counselor, it's very important to acknowledge whose territory you're in and acknowledge that it, it did belong to, say, the Sequatnik to begin with. And I think it's a very good educational process, especially for people within the area that actually have no knowledge of whose Indigenous territory they're in. You have a lot of people in camps here that really don't know who Sequatnik people are. It's from history to today. Excellent. Thank you so much. And again, really glad that you're here. And we wanted to just start off if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself. Traditionally, we introduced ourselves. Our name was Quest Angels. And then we start our lineage. We start saying who we belong to. I would say my grandparents, my Sla and my Ka, uh, was Grand Chief Harvey Jules and Mary Jules. And my mom, as Doris Ono now, she was actually one of the first Aboriginal nurses back in the 60s. Worked in Vancouver and one of the first ones to work in Children's Hospital when it was first uh, built. Yeah, so I'm Sequatnik Nation, Adams Lake Band, 54 years old, mother, auntie, wife, not a grandmother yet. Uh, <laughs> I can wait for that, though. He's only 20. Lived most of my life within the Sequatnik Territory, within Chates, where the Adams Lake Band is situated. I have, over the years, gone to university. Well, I guess back in the day, it was Caribou College. Started out going into pharmacy and realized accounting was a little bit easier, so I... <laughs> 
switched halfway through and career-wise, I've been on band council, Adam's like band council for 15 years, so five, six consecutive terms. Mm. I've also, during that time on band council, gained skills of being a board member. I sat on the TRU board when it was transitioning to the university, so that was an exciting time to be there. I also was part of the planning project for the First Nations Library at TRU and also the TRU Student Housing tower that's there as part of that planning process. I've sat on different boards, lucky the opportunity was there through Band Council, Sequatman Child and Family Services, First Nations Education Council for Kamloops District and Salmon Arm District, President of the Adams Lake Band Development Corporation. So it gives you an opportunity to gain some skills and uh, over the years, which actually helped me to get to where I am today as a board member for Interior Health. This past year, I also became the first Aboriginal person on the Kamloops School Board as a trustee. First. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So it's an exciting role and it's, it's really exciting to have that voice at that table. And it's a learning experience for both, especially, like I said, in Sequatmic territory. And really, we have cultural safety happening in Interior Health, but in the school districts, it's just so much more prevalent in, in being able to do that. So it's really exciting. Very exciting. And so this leads me to be curious about your journey to becoming an Interior Health Board of Directors. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can share with our listeners that journey. I made a choice to not run for band council so that I could have the time with my son. He had a couple of years left of high school and he was always used to me being on the road. You know, band council is very busy. And ironically, I received a phone call from the board resourcing office and she said, we were wondering if you were interested in applying to be a board member of Interior Health. And I said, are you sure you want me? And they said, no, yeah, definitely can be a bit vocal at times. You know, being on band council, you tend to be able to learn how to be vocal in a polite corporate way at the tables. So I said, wonderful, great. I cleared everything up. I said, that would be excellent. I would love to be a board member. It's an exciting time to be involved in health. I have a little bit of a knowledge of health being on band council. I had the health portfolio for two years, so I kind of understood a little bit of the language and understood a little bit of the issues that First Nations people were having within the health system. And and I thought, you know what, if, if they're wanting my voice there, I will definitely take care of one of my mottos in life is take advantage of every opportunity that comes along. And so I applied. A couple of weeks later, they gave me a call back and, and said I was appointed to the board. So it was a bit daunting when you look at the largest budget I worked with was the university, which is $100 million, a little over $100 million. Then you start looking at IH budget and all the different components of it, and you're at two point something billion. And it was a bit of a learning curve, but I've enjoyed it ever since. And how long have you been with the board now? This year will be four years. And I'm curious if you could share with us and the listeners what a board member with Interior Health does. It's to understand your role as a board member is governance and really separating yourself from the daily activities of IH and the instructions or direction it comes from the minister. And it comes down through a mandate letter to the board as to what the minister is looking for within IH. And we have to line that up also understanding the governance and financial management, making sure that the minister's objectives are implemented, but also making sure that the public are receiving the best care that they possibly can within IH and being able to coordinate also and using all technologies that we have with other health sectors, with Fraser Health, Northern Health, and how can we best utilize the tools that we have to give the best delivery of service to mm-hmm. everyone with, within the interior health sector or within BC. So I think you really need to know your role and responsibility as a board member. If anything should happen 
in IH, ultimately you're responsible as a board member. So understanding your responsibility in that aspect to the minister is it's quite a serious role to take. You really have to be conscious of what decisions you're making, making sure that you are informed of the decisions you're making. Always ask questions. That's what your senior executive team is for. And I think not just the senior executive team, but I asked Vanessa and I asked Brad to be able to make to make sure that you're making the right decision at the board table, making sure that you touch base with everyone that you need to to have the right information mm-hmm. to be able to make that decision rather than just assuming that you know everything and I, I'm going to go in there and I've read the material to know how it functions and how it flows down in through the organization also I think is important to understand how the organization actually works so that when you're talking about spending X amount of money on something you know how that piece fits into, into your health. Knowing that the board is supporting the minister's direction, it leads me to a curiosity around when the mandate for Aboriginal health inclusion came from the minister. What was that experience like when the board received that mandate and now had to mobilize to support the organization in moving that direction? I think interior health was actually ahead of the game in that aspect of it starting with the Aboriginal team with Brad Anderson and his team that is there and watching that grow and flourish over the last few years that I've been here and they were here before I was so I think we were ahead in that aspect and also Vanessa's team having that team come and play within interior health and starting the education process not just from the top level but also from the bottom level and hopefully we're meeting in the middle at some point so I think foresight of this and recognizing there's nations within our territory already initiating the Paul Tabor Partnership Accord Leadership Table. I think they were ahead of the game that when the direction did come down from the ministry, it was like, is there anything that we're missing? And we're always looking at to what is the next steps? We've completed this. What is the next steps to moving the initiative forward? But it is a very big education process. That part of it is going to take time. I'm glad that the ministry's recognized it and it's actually part of their mandate and going forward and it's not just in health. I'm glad that they're spreading it across the board and it's not just being filtered down through one silo. So I think interior health is just moving ahead along greatly and like these podcasts, again, using technology as an education process and moving things forward. I think that's great. And I can see interior health leads the way actually in a lot of aspects regarding working relationships and inclusion of First Nations people within their territory. And I think that other health authorities actually look at us, even to the point of in the last three years, our CEO and board chair actually visit rural communities, which hasn't been done before. Uh, A funny story of a a board chair and a president CEO going to our northern communities. A few years ago, they they got out of the vehicle, and of course, they're dressed in the dress pants and the dress shirt or jackets and looking very formal. And quite a few of the community members actually thought they were from Indian Affairs because they've never had a board chair or CEO come to the communities. And I think just even that initiative broke that barrier. And from there... It's not uncommon for any of our employees, whether it's from the senior executive team right down to nurses going into communities now, and that barrier is broken. Uh, They look forward to it. And I think, once again, education experience. And when our CEO and board chair came back, they actually had a good story. They had a flat tire on the way to the community (laughs) and stuff. So it was a really good story that they had. And I think it's important, too, because when you're making decisions or talking about communities, whether they're First Nations or not, you really need to know what it looks like, who lives there, and what impact it's going to have 
on them. So I think it, it's really wonderful. Um, and now it, it's the norm for our teams, regardless of whatever team it is, to go into the community and meet with the health directors, meet with chief and council. And so it's becoming a, a really good working relationship. And I think your health is really paving the way for, for that process to be done. You had mentioned the partnership accord. I know for some of our listeners, they might not all know about the partnership accord. So could you tell me a little bit about it? As I said, mentioned, there's five nations within Interior Health. And we needed a table to be able to address First Nations initiatives, First Nations concerns, or programmings, etc. This table was formed with a representative from each nation and the nation sent a representative. Also at this table is the technical team. They need to be there to be able to take the discussion and decisions that have happened at this table back and, and do the wonderful work that they do to be presented. And also at this table is an agreement that it's a government-to-government relationship. So on the other side is the CEO and president of Interior Health, the board chair. I'm grateful enough to be sitting there as a board of directors at this table. And we meet quarterly. And our Aboriginal team, Brad Anderson, also sits at that table. And we're able to, to discuss, make decisions, move initiatives forward. It could be Aboriginal interest as a whole, or it could be specifically for that First Nation, a concern that they might have. But I think having this table to, with a government-government relationship, which is really where the First Nations would like to be at in order to make decisions that are actually going to be useful and have impact within their communities, you're sitting at a table with the CEO, president, and the board chair, that you're able to make those decisions there, commitments there, without having to say, you know what, great discussion, I'll have to take this back to the board, we'll have a look at it, pass motions, we're able to do this there, and then the updates are brought back to the Interior Health Board and Health Directors as a whole, and it's a wonderful tool to use, and once again, I don't think that across BC, that other health authorities have gotten to that part they're getting there or they have a similar structure that works for them but this structure works really well and it's moved in initiatives forward in a faster pace than it would how we did business before we're making strides in areas that we probably would have taken us longer to do mm. and also the first nations health authority also sits at this table but they sit as a support for the Aboriginal communities, but also their support for interior health because we might be talking about initiative that the First Nations Health Authority is working on, which is the same as in interior health. How do we, rather than duplicate the process, how do we enhance the process, each program or initiatives, dollars that we can put into it? And I think that's really important too, to have that good working relationship with the First Nations Health Authority sitting there, our CEO and their CEO are able to have discussions and, and it's more of an open dialogue. Nowadays, everything's on the table. What are we doing? Where are we going? And how are we going to do it? And how are we going to do it together? Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to be and need to move things forward. And like I said, it's not just First Nations initiatives. It's also non, non-First Nations because we do have... Uh, borderline a lot of i'll, t- I'll take an example of uh, williams lake hospital williams lake area quite a few first nations communities around there so i think whatever initiative you do on reserve does reflect off reserve like uh, reflects the intakes of how many emergency department visits a person has if you're doing more preventative work on, on reserve so it works hand in hand together and and i really like it that we are all working together and the doctors in the emergency department in williams lake do know of what some of the programs and services that are, are happening on reserve right down to from the time the babies are born right to elder care is being covered so i think it really enhances the working relationship and also enhances the programs and services for our reserve community. 
Actually, just kind of building on that a little bit further, knowing this amazing role that you've been asked to be a part of and have taken on, you know, how do you see the importance of these leadership roles and being an Aboriginal woman and being in this amazing leadership role and supporting our Aboriginal peoples, families and communities? I think for myself, I know that it's an important role. And sometimes it feels like I walk from something and I go, did I actually have impact on that? Did we come to the conclusion that we needed to? And I think that you need to have that voice at that table. And because I do live on reserve, I live in my community, I do hear and I do know some of those frustrations that our community members do have with the health system. And I'm able to talk to them. You're more approachable. They know who you are. And being on band council for 15 years, I do get stopped by certain people and they'll ask me questions about A, B, or C regarding interior health. And I'm grateful enough to know that at least I can answer the question a bit or direct them to where they need to go. And I think the most important part of it is to be able to have that voice at the table. And being an Aboriginal woman there, I think it is, it is once again, quite daunting because it's always the suits, right? The suit and ties are sitting at the boardroom table and male-dominated boardroom table is the, the persona that we have of it. But the boardroom table has changed quite a bit over the years. And, and once again, the government's realized that they need that diversity of their boards. And I'm grateful for being there and having that voice. And, you know, after I'm finished my term, that seat is there again for another Aboriginal person to join that group and be able to be involved in that conversation. And I think that that is really important to do, being part of the conversation, part of the decision-making, but also being able to be available for the community members. It's, it's about being able to access the community members, seeing what their issues are. And rather than a First Nations perspective, from a First Nations group bringing it to the table, you're actually part of the corporate board table and being able to put the input there. And mm -hmm. so we're not actually having it just on one side, we're actually infused on both sides and we're able to have a voice on both ends. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important and I think it's taken us, and I mean us as First Nations people, a long time to get there. But I think government has realized that we're not going away and it's actually better to have as part of the conversation than to not have as part of the conversation and continue fighting about the same issues mm. 20 years, 30 years, 50 years ago. So I see the way that the health authorities are working and the, and the ministry is working is actually inclusion, which is really great. What I heard a lot from what you're sharing is advocacy and relationships advocating and having that voice and relationships where you were talking about questions, concerns being brought to you from community and being that bridge of sorts to be able to link to resources on the interior health side to bring the two together. And that's something that I really link to cultural safety as well, having that voice for our families, for our communities, for our nations, but also trying to figure out where are relationships strong already within interior health in our communities. Where are they having challenges or where have they not even yet started? How can we support those pieces? What does a culturally safe interior health look like for you? How can we get there? Well, I think we need to start from the beginning. And I think that's the people that work in interior health have to be trained somewhere, whether it's your nurses, your doctors, janitors, everyone's important in interior health and the role that they play. 
But I think that cultural safety, and this is where we need to change our education system a bit, the higher learning education system a bit, is that needs to be infused into those programs that our potential employees, future employees are taking. And I think that's one part that is missing, and it would benefit not just interior health, it would benefit across Canada. And I think that that's what is missing, and we need to address that. But how do we as interior health be able to have influence on that aspect of it, right? But I also think cultural safe interior health, it's going to take us a long time. We're getting there, and and we're having the conversations. And we're, we're not just having the conversations, we're past that, we're actually doing it. So I think where we can go through a duration of time, and I guess this is how you engage yourself, of no complaints, of no issues regarding how... Our Aboriginal people were treated. It's actually how you're treated from the time you visit your doctor's office, the receptionist at your doctor's office, to whether you have to go intake into the hospital for whatever procedure you're having. It's how you're treated there to when you leave the hospital to even aftercare. And I think if you can go through that whole process and feel like you're actually valued as a patient, you're actually heard, once we can get to that, we've made a big difference in making sure that they're getting the best quality care that they can get. I'm really glad that you talked about the different positions within interior health, that it's not just an emergency, for example, it's all across the board. And so oftentimes people might not always see themselves in that continuum of care if they're not offering or providing direct client care. And so what's a message that you can share with people who might be patient registration or a, or a janitor or a care aide or a physician or a manager or in finance or, or intake? You know, what's a message that you can share with them as far as acknowledging that they are a part of the continuum of care and how cultural safety is relevant for them, even though they're not maybe the one providing that direct I think every job is important, every person matters, and I think that goes from patient to workers to every aspect of interior health, just those three words, every person matters. Mm, That's very true. And backing up, because I have a curiosity, it's going to lead to a couple questions, but you were talking about that there's a term for the board members. How long is the term for the board Mm. member? So you're allowed two, three-year terms. And your appointment Mm -hmm. comes from the ministry's office, from the government's office. They have the opportunity to have you on the board for the full six years. They have the choice of lengthening the amount of time you have on the board. So what keeps the passion alive for you in this role? And then what would you offer to someone who is interested in being a board member, knowing that there is a seat held specifically for Indigenous identity? I guess my passion being on the board is... You're here on this earth and you have one chance at it. What are you leaving behind? Being a politician for 15 years on Aboriginal side is, have I done anything to enhance or better my people? And what is your legacy that you're leaving behind? My passion is, what can I do for the people? And in helping us move forward, hopefully what I've done has helped. As for being a board member, I think that you have to have that interest at that high level of governance and understanding governance and understanding your role. I'm not here to tell Vanessa what to do every day. That's not my role and I'm not an expert in that. I'm not here to override, be able to work together collectively. You're going to have different opinions. You could even have very heated discussions, 
as long as you can work together, you can agree to disagree as long as you can move forward. So I think as a board member, knowing your role and responsibility and educating yourself in programs that will enhance you as a board member, Robert's Rules of Order will give you something, an idea of how a meeting runs and, and uh, technology nowadays is incredible. And like I said, understanding your role and responsibility. And definitely you have to have the passion to educate yourself because they don't hand you a book <laughs> that says, here's how to become a board member. You have to educate yourself and be willing to learn, willing to take criticism also. And to me, it's like, what can I learn from that? And I guess that's as a board member too, you have to have really good listening skills, really mm -hmm. understanding what the problem is and being able to listen to all the different solutions and then being able to narrow it down to the proper solution to the, to the problem. You know, some of our nation names are, are difficult for our non-Indigenous speaking people. And so what advice would you offer someone who's fearful but yet wants to go on the journey? It, it's no different than the first time I walked into the boardroom and went, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're fearful, you're, yeah, you don't want to screw it up, as you said, right? And I think First Nations people nowadays are more patient and are more helpful and there's no harm in asking am i saying this right i'm saying and i've, and I've had phone calls phone calls from you know the senior executive team and saying I'm, I'm going into this community how do i say it am i saying it right but that's with any language right I, but i think definitely ask and you may make a mistake but it's okay we understand that you're guests within our territory we understand that this is new to you we appreciate you actually trying to speak our language. As any language, it's not going to come overnight. But Aboriginal people are patient, and they're not as serious as some people think. We love to joke around. So uh, take a deep breath in. You know, when you have to acknowledge the territory and it's your first time, take a deep breath, count to 10, do your best, and be able to laugh at yourself also. That's a big one. You're not going to offend anyone. We make mistakes too, and be able to laugh at yourself. And if you're really nervous, just ask, pick up a call. There's an Aboriginal team in IH that you're able to call. And believe me, it's on all levels. Uh, our board chair, Doug, he's definitely trying and responding in the Sequemics Genia Cook's Jam. Thank you. And hoping that I'm saying this right, or I'm hoping <laughs> that I'm spelling this right. And I'm, you know what? It's a learning experience. Mm -hmm. we're, we're all going to get there at some point. So basically, we're thrilled you're trying. Yeah. And that's the biggest reconciliation, right? Acknowledging the territory you're in. That didn't happen 20 years ago. Did it happen 10 years ago? Probably not. Just to have that, that you're recognizing the territory you're in, is a huge step. Thank you so much for mm -hmm. sharing all that you've shared in this, in this conversation with us. Thank you for the opportunity for being here. Like I said, I, I love to take advantage of every opportunity that comes along. A bit daunted coming in here in a podcast. Appreciate the offer for being here and, and looking forward to, uh, to hearing more podcasts like uh, Tina's doing. Thank you for listening to episode 18, Interior Voices. Visit our website at interiorhealth.ca slash interiorvoices for links to additional information about the IH Board of Directors, and be sure to check out the extras for a short language lesson with Diane. Please join us again next time when we talk with IH Board member Alan Louie. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, you can email interiorvoices at interiorhealth.ca. We'd love to hear from you. 
And don't forget to subscribe to Interior Voices on iTunes. So is this as bad as you thought it was going to be? Or were no, we're this... re-dentalizing. <laughs> 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 <laughs>